0: Uh, I'm Hari, uh, Tech Editor at Forbes India, and this is uh, this week's uh, edition of uh, Forbes India Startup Friday's conversation. Uh, So our uh, entrepreneur this Friday uh, has a very interesting background. Uh, He builds rockets and puts small satellites into uh, orbit. One interesting aspect of his work is uh, that he is combining rockets technology with 3D printing. He's literally uh, 3D printing rocket engines. Another interesting aspect is that uh, He has an electrical engineering degree, but he spent a big chunk of his career in uh, financial services working with companies like AIG and AXA before turning to go build rockets. So uh, Srinath, uh, welcome to this uh, uh, show. Uh, Fantastic to have you here. Um, Thank you, Hari, for having me. And so just to get us uh, started, tell us a bit about the basics. You build rockets. What kind of rockets? What will they be used for?
1: Sure. Uh, So, uh, I think uh, let's just first take a second uh, to understand what a rocket actually is, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. It's pretty much a transportation vehicle, that's it. Just like we talk about buses and trains, uh, rockets connect two points. One point actually happens to be basically what a rocket is so what we build is small rockets to take small satellites to space Hmm. Uh, of course there is a whole logic to why they are there and so on but the point we're trying to tell is what exists today in the market Uh, those rockets are more comparable to say trains or maybe buses what are rockets which are more comparable to say cabs or autos or some version of a uh, shareholder if you know what that is so that's that's basically what we're building uh small rockets to take small satellites to space
0: okay and uh, what got you interested in rockets tell us a bit about uh, how you and uh, Moin started a uh, Nikul.
1: sure uh so for me i've always been a aerospace enthusiast since my childhood i think uh, i grew up in a family of a lot of physics people uh, mm-hmm. so maybe that is where it started uh, and then uh, 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 you know I, I did a uh, you know undergraduate degree in, uh, in electrical engineering because people at that time told me that I won't get any job in aerospace if I if I do a aerospace degree. Um, I also loved electrical engineering or you know, I'm wrong, but but if my heart wasn't arrow and then i went on to do a finance program uh in uh, columbia university for my you know for my masters that was just because everyone around me at that time was doing something in finance and i was very intrigued by it i was like what i don't know anything about it but why are so many people doing it and literally everyone in my friend circle did it but quickly when i went to new york i actually had a chance to work in wall street and all that but i quickly realized my i'm an engineer at heart so i was just not getting satisfied from that aspect so i just thought i should go back to what i truly love which is aerospace and Mm -hmm. that's how i came to aerospace moved from new york to los Angeles. And then I was just soaking in all of the SpaceX uh, vibe going on in the U.S. at that time. Right. I, I actually used to follow PSLV launches even in Do I mean, Now I think YouTube videos of SpaceX launches are quite common in the community. But there was this time when Do Darshan launches were not the most popular things to watch. Mm-hmm. And I was still watching them at that time. So I was always a rocket enthusiast. So that's how things slowly started to come in. The core idea actually came when I was in L.A. I knew I had to do something in aerospace. And then I was doing a crazy amount of network networking, going to a lot of universities and small startups. And everyone had a satellite, you know, about like this big, maybe, you know, like a meter long. And they were just sitting in labs, right? And then the kids to get into, we don't have permission to get there. It just seemed like a whole lot of logistic and capacity-related issues, which is what planted the idea that Maybe something small, something simple should be done to address this, right? So that's basically where it started. Uh, my co-founder and you know good friend of mine, Moen. Uh, so we used to play cricket together. That he was also in exact time, sort of in the middle of changing careers and so on. So we just decided, hey, why not just build a small rocket out of India? Like, that is basically how it started, right? Of course, we didn't know what we were getting into at that time, uh, but that's how it started. Uh, the idea was to make rockets easily accessible for small satellites. Uh, we did a whole lot of cold calling out in India uh, trying to see who we could partner with because we had some money. Both Moin and I had worked in other places. Moin also had, you know, was running like a contract manufacturing company in Chennai. Uh, but he didn't have the, enough money to build rockets. Uh, so so we wanted an academia partner. Cold called about 80, 90 professors across IITs. And uh, one prof actually happened to give me time to you know, talk to him. On a video call, I was in Los Angeles at that time. I was in Chennai, and that was Professor Satya Chakravarti from IIT So he actually happens to be like a really accomplished rocket scientist himself, and uh, he sits on his review committees. So once he got excited, uh, I think we were like, "Okay, this is it." I packed my bags and moved to Chennai, and that's how Agni could basically started.
0: Yeah, and when was this?
1: This was 2017 October. That's when I moved back. Noin was already here in Chennai from 2016. So we formally incorporated in 2017
0: December. Okay. And you've developed a way of making rockets uh, that involves uh, 3D printing. So explain this to us a little bit. And why 3D printing?
1: Sure. Uh, So so, uh, if you look at what we set out to do, right, we wanted to make rockets... Launches available for everyone who wanted them in in the time actually they wanted it right so if you look at what really took long to make in rockets rocket engines were a pain it is an extremely intricate uh, set of assemblies that had to be done and one error anywhere in the assembly process the whole part is scrapped right so that's how the manner of working is so this was happening uh, at IIT PROF was actually heading the center called National Center for Combustion R&D, uh, NCCRD it's called. It actually happens to be one of the largest combustion R&D centers in the world. Uh, basically, anything that burns, there is some research going on. It could be municipal waste mm. or it could be rocket engines. There is some research. So there was some research going on on 3D printing jet engines right, for planes so, or parts of it. So that is where the seed of the idea came. And then we just wanted to push it to a point where we thought... There are thousands of parts in a rocket engine and that's what take, makes it so complex. Why can't we make it look like one part by, you know, making all of the designs possible to be printed in one shot? So that is what we set out to do. So we slowly iterated with the, you know, really hardworking team, uh, tried to make, you know, maybe one part of the rocket engine fully 3d printed then another part fully 3d printed then these two together 3d printed so so slowly we pushed the boundaries and we finally around i think 2019 end or middle actually we got to a point where we were able to push 3d printing to a point where the entire rocket engine start to finish is 3d printed mm-hmm. now why is this good uh two reasons or actually three reasons one uh, it basically reduces the rocket engine making time to less than 72 hours So that, I think, is going to be a huge step in making an on-demand solution to space. Second thing, uh, you basically automated the process completely, right? So there is no human intervention involved in making the rocket engine. So you start... Give the command, go back. Of course, there's a little bit of attention required to the printer. But at the end of it, you basically get a full engine that's ready to go into a rocket. Mm. So qualification, insurance, all these things started favoring us once you did such a completely automated process. Mm. And the last bit is the cost involved, uh, right? So if we, we had to actually, because the number of errors that were coming in were lesser, you're counting on a machine that is qualified. Uh, it became a cheaper way to print engines. It also became a cheaper way to iterate designs. Hey, this engine was only 97% efficient. You want to make it 98% efficient. You don't need to go through a process of uh, manufacturing the whole thing again, creating a new mold, and doing all those conventional manufacturing things. Change the 3D model and give it to the printer, and 22 hours later, you have another engine to test. Mm. So that is why I think we are going with 3D printing, and it is... Proven to be
0: a very efficient way of making rocket engines. Hmm. And is this the core technology that you have developed and what else have you developed?
1: So, this is one of the things that we've developed. Uh, there are other areas as well, particularly in terms of how we uh, uh, assemble our rockets, right? So, we think of, so I'll use an analogy here. Let's say uh, both of us here are buying laptops, right? And we decide we're going to buy some MacBook or something like that or some Dell laptop your requirements might be different from mine even though we want to stick to the same series of laptops right it could be a macbook but then you might want more uh, you might want a larger monitor I might want more ram or something like that So we thought rocket should be sort of in a similar approach in some sense uh, not everyone needs the same rocket so we wanted to make the rocket itself modular so that it's like okay you tell me where you want to launch from you tell me how, where you want to get to You tell me how much you're taking to space Mm. and I'll tell you the rocket that you you need.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: It's literally like going to a website and choosing your parameters of input and then, hey, this is the best rocket that suits you. Mm. And now we can't actually get that done with completely new iterations Mm. because once that happens, then it becomes a huge qualification nightmare Mm. uh, because everything that has to fly has to go through intense qualification process. So we made the whole thing a plug and play kind of a concept where... My first stage in the rocket will have seven engines, let's say, but I could even fly with six. Uh, We could fly with five or four. So that means we can basically scale the rocket up and down. So this is another innovation that we're bringing beyond the 3D printing itself. And we're trying to keep the whole process extremely modular and mobile so that you know, it should. Uh, like the The idea is to make it a little bit like, uh, you know, like an like an event management thing. Uh, prof always says that you should think that you're doing a wedding when you're launching. You go in with all your people and your equipment. You set it up in a place that the government has given you for launching. Launch, bind up, and come back. That's it. Basically, it should be a very compact model of process. Mm. So that's that's basically how. That's another innovation that you're bringing to the entire rocket process. But mm. basically, those are the those are the things.
0: Yeah. Mm. And uh, one more aspect of your technology, you've uh, mentioned something called semi-cryogenic uh, engine. What? Explain that to us.
1: Sure, uh, so the semi-cryogenic basically means uh, the, the the fuel that we're using, one of them is in a cryogenic state which is in a very cold temperature which is liquid oxygen uh, it is at, you know, uh, minus 200 degrees Celsius roughly mm. and the other one is kerosene uh, you know, mm. kind of like jet fuel sort of a thing so that is why it's called semi cryogenics we basically burn kerosene and liquid oxygen, it's one of the cleanest rocket fuel combinations in the world today mm. and uh, we just want to stick, it is also well proven fuel combination Mm. and we chose that because it's not very hard to so the technology involved in harnessing liquid oxygen to work with you is similar to what you use for liquid nitrogen and everyone in the you know like a lot of people across industries use liquid nitrogen so cryogenic engineering as far as liquid nitrogen is concerned is very straightforward hats off to ISRO for conquering uh, what they call a cryogenic fuel right wherein both Your oxygen is liquid and your fuel is also in a liquid state. So they use liquid hydrogen. Now, that's a completely different ballgame. Uh, To to make liquid hydrogen be in a liquid state and do work with it is an extremely complex uh, engineering task. And luckily for the kind of rockets that we want to do, we don't need hydrogen. Mm. So those are the two, three things, right? It's a clean fuel. It has been well proven and easily accessible. And the complexity is not as 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 intense as you know fully cryogenic so that's why we went ahead with and since we have been using it with kerosene and liquid oxygen
0: hmm. and uh, what is the capacity or range of capacities of your rockets how much payload can they take how far can they go
1: sure so we have like this nominal target of around 100 kgs of capacity uh, but as i told you before this whole thing can be scaled backward and forward, uh, depending upon who the customer is and where they want to launch from and where they want to get to. Uh, so those are the three variables that come in. Mm. Uh, so we could go higher, maybe, you know, to 150, 200 kgs. We could go lower to 30 kgs and we're trying to do it at the same price and so on. But but basically, that's the idea. It's mm. It's centered around 100 kg, let's say. And it goes to a class of orbits called low Earth orbits. So, mm. uh, as a, so, what is a low Earth orbit? It's about like say four hundred, five hundred kilometers high. Uh, just to put it in context, like planes fly at say ten kilometers or something, right? That's the usual flying altitude, ten to eleven kilometers. Mm. The uh, standard orbit that, like say, for example, where the space station is. Those things are what they call low earth orbits, around 400-500 kilometers. So that's okay. where our rockets are targeted.
0: Okay, so so your customers would be people who want to launch all these constellation of earth observatory sa- observation satellites Precisely. and this broadband and whatever uh, all these satellites. Precisely, exactly okay. right. So exactly, you, so exactly
1: right. So there are. You. Go, ahead. Go on,
0: Sorry. Yeah, so you'll find customers. so I'm just going
1: to say uh, that there are like three classes of customers, right? We usually talk, my other co-founder, Moin, he does a lot of work in talking to them and so on. Uh, So as you already mentioned, you have imaging. Basically, you go up and take a picture of Earth and in different waves there are multiple dimensions to that by the way mm. uh you can take it in different resolutions it's just like a photography mm. problem right or uh, photography challenge right different mm. wavelengths you could use infrared or visible you could use different resolutions you could use mm. different swath and you could also uh take it at different frequency let's say for example i want to f- I'm, I'm i'm using chennai because we work out of chennai uh, uh let's say i want a picture of chennai every day at 6 a.m someone else might want a picture of chennai every two hours so those two are very different problems mm-hmm. but again those are the different dimensions people play with uh the other one is communication itself so 5g like for example a lot of people are now coming in with internet of things they want a separate class of satellites to take care of internet of things mm-hmm. so if your fridge wants to talk to your phone to update where your milk level is you don't need to use the same data that you're going to use for talking like this on instagram yeah. because that is extremely low data rate uh, kind of a thing right So there are companies that are actually launching constellations just to address these kind of IoT kind of uh, frameworks Hmm. where in a very low data bandwidth, you can get a lot of very low latency stuff as well Hmm. so that you're not clogging the usual network with it because the usual network is anyway always clogged. We're always short of bandwidth. Hmm. So that's the other thing. I do want to mention a couple of other really cool things that are coming up because of uh, small satellites. One thing is actually the... The, the, let's say there's a company out of japan which does you know fireworks from space so what they do is they go to a Earth orbit and then they basically put out a bunch of stuff which burns up on the way down and in that process it sort of lights up the night sky where you want so imagine there is a sporting event finale or something like that right like a like a like an independence day celebration or something uh imagine having a moment where you The entire country or a big large region can come out and see the sky and you can actually see a sort of a pattern that is being generated just for you. So this is possible with small satellites today on demand. Mm -hmm. So that is something a really cool application Mm -hmm. we have found. We have found people trying to do zero gravity drug extraction.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Wherein if you actually want to synthesize a certain set of molecules, today they do it in a centrifuge if they want to cancel out the effects of gravity. Uh, you, people have figured that actually, instead of doing that, if launch has become simple enough, then Mm. you can actually just do that in space itself. Why try to simulate space? Mm. Right? So why try to simulate microgravity? Mm -hmm. so that is another application that people have come up with uh i've seen people trying to store data in space now because cooling is available for free uh not exactly free you need to orient yourself away from the sun but still the point is like if you're running a data farm on on our planet the biggest challenge is the energy required to keep your systems cool and that's Mm -hmm. why you see all these really large companies go to you know, northern regions near the Arctic Circle to have their large cloud forms, right? Mm. Now, imagine you can just get that for free in space. Mm. So, if you can establish high bandwidth, which is also coming up by the way, Mm. uh, right? You can actually start putting a lot of this data in in space. So, today, for example, audio streaming can completely be done out of the bandwidth available for direct satellite streaming. Mm. Video, we are not yet there, but I think we will be getting there as well. So, Mm. a lot of applications coming up for small
0: satellites. Mm. So, have you already lined up some
1: customers? Yeah, we're constantly speaking to them all the time. I usually don't talk about them in a a public forum, but uh, yeah, definitely we are talking to them. A lot of customers are based sort of Europe and uh, the US, Mm. Uh, some of them in Japan as well. Uh, India, by the way, has a thriving, you know, uh, startup space ecosystem. So, we are also talking to some of the space startup uh, folks in India who are doing small satellites and stuff. Mm. So, yeah, definitely. And we have been actually... Trying to make sure that, uh, I mean, this is a standard challenge when you're building a very complex product, right? You tend to get too sucked into the engineering and finally you realize what your customer wants is not what you're building, but what you like is what you're building. Mm-hmm. So we're very consciously aware of that, trying to always make sure that, okay, hey, all of this is about getting stuff to space on time. So even though the engineering is super fascinating, mm-hmm. uh, we need to be sure that we are addressing the customer. So mm-hmm. so yeah, that, that we, 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 we we do have customers lined up and uh, we have been talking with them for a very long time now.
0: Mm-hmm and where are you at in terms of your rocket development have you already flight tested your rockets Uh, when will they be commercially available
1: sure so, uh so again it's a vehicle so uh just like what you would expect in a car for example you have a propulsion system you have some structural items you have avionics you have other you know uh, support systems for accessories and so on mm. very similar a rocket is too. it has all these different areas so where we are in terms of development is we are we are past the stage of you know first level qualification for all of our technologies in in, in you know all the areas of the vehicle right mm. so aerodynamic structures avionics propulsion and so on now we are trying to Get it to flight quality, and we're trying to also focus on integration. So that is where we are. We have not flight tested anything, and that's hopefully in the line sometime really soon. Planning to go commercial and start launching, you know, uh, like a, like a formal business by the end of next year. Of course, with how bad the situation is out there today, I mean, so many things are. You know, everyone is stressed. I don't know if we'll be, you know, exactly on time there. But I think we are so far looking perfectly aligned for doing launches starting from twenty twenty two.
0: And in the slightly sort of longer term uh, uh, view, at some point, would you make reusable rockets?
1: Uh, It is uh, definitely possible with the technology that we are doing. So actually, interestingly, it's more than a technological challenge, which is definitely it is. It's also a commercial question, right? So uh, the equation is very simple if you think about it. Uh, Every time you try to reuse a rocket. You have to eat into the payload capacity. Mm-hmm. So a hundred kg vehicle, if you make it a, a one-time use vehicle, right? What they call an expendable vehicle. If an expendable hundred kg vehicle has to be made a reusable hundred kg vehicle, uh, it's not possible directly. You will have to shave off some of your payload capacity so that you can bring it back. It could be in, there are multiple ways of bringing it back. Of course, SpaceX has perfected the you know the whole maneuvered uh, way of bringing it back down and landing. So. The business equation becomes: Is the compromise on the payload capacity bigger, or is the cost of saving your first stage bigger? Right, It's just a simple equation there. And for our rocket, so far it looks like it's not a big win. I mean, of course you do win if you get your hardware back, but it's not like, uh, like the famous thing that you know that we read in you know, SpaceX stories is you know they're trying to bring back like a you know sixty million dollar bag of money or something like that coming up. that's how much the rocket is worth. The way we have gone about making our rockets and also the size of the rocket itself, it is not looking very uh, commercially viable that, you know, it definitely needs to be reusable. Mm. So the technology challenge is there and we might do it at some point, but it's not a pressing need for us.
0: Mm. How much would your uh, rockets weigh and and, and give us at least a range of what they might cost? I know those are sensitive numbers, but...
1: Mm. Uh, so, uh, I think the the the, the, uh, the the rocket itself is like about uh, 18 meters long. It's about like, say, one-third or one-fourth the size of a PSLV rocket from India. Uh, pricing, I mean, I, I'll just keep it high level. I would say that we are adding on the feature of, uh, uh, say, flexible, you know, uh, 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 you know, launches, right? So, basically, launch on-demand feature at the same price that some of the cheapest people in the market today offer. Mm. So let's say today you go and you're able to get something for X dollars per kg, X dollar per kg pricing. Uh if X dollars per kg to go to space, I think we'll be right there or you know maybe even slightly lesser than that, but the big thing we're also offering over the price point is the readiness. In 2 weeks you can get to space. Mm. So that's why we think it's a very powerful solution without reducing the price too much we're actually focusing on the on demand part which I think is a real glut today. Mm. That is what the industry needs today.
0: Mm. And what is the kind of uh, capacity you are aiming for? Once you go commercial, how many rockets do you anticipate making every year?
1: Uh, it really depends on the mailing up to open in two weeks, roughly. So twenty-five launches a year, roughly. Let's say right. So that kind of a number. Uh, but it should really be more based on the demand instead of having a thing every two weeks. Uh, if someone only in four that should be doable. That is, I think, the whole point of this, this 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 concept itself. A really on-demand solution, it's just like when you want a cab, usually we go to all our Uber today and we book and it comes, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to taking a fixed bus. That is what we are trying to get.
0: Mm-hmm. And that will allow you to be sort of a commercially viable business, will it?
1: Right. Yes, mm-hmm. it, will. it will. That's how we have gone about our design. A mm-hmm. completely on-demand solution should, because we tailor the vehicle to the customer Mm. so and that itself is allowing us to be viable as well Mm. even at a lower configuration we are able to offer the same price point and we are able to still be profitable as a business yes Mm.
0: yes. Mm. and you've also raised some funding uh, and and from some uh, big names as investors including uh, Anand Mahindra and others tell us a little bit about that how much money how much more would you need
1: Right, so, uh, I mean, uh, we've raised, you know, two or three, two rounds of funding so far, a seed round and a pre-series A round. Uh, one was led by Special A, uh, fund, uh, Deep Tech fund out of Chennai and Bangalore. Another was by Pi Ventures, uh, which is doing a really lot of cool stuff in Deep Tech, uh, even in hardware and software. Uh, I think, uh, uh, um, so far we've raised about, I say, would we'll say four, four and a half million totally, I think, uh, in, across the two rounds. Hmm. I think the good thing about doing work from India is we are able to build world-class technology at a much better reduced price, right? I mean, the manner in which ISRO has developed our vendors, the manner in which ISRO's testing programs work, they are like geared towards actually doing it at a low cost, okay. right? We always are are able to accomplish things at a much lower level as a country. I want to be very clear that it is not about a compromise in technology. Uh, We do the same class of technology but we are able to get it done at a lower cost and we are guided by you know, retired ISRO scientists in our journey here. So, 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 so we have always made sure that that is our philosophy as well, right? Testing should be itself, the, the, the very, the very, very, the logic, the very spirit behind testing should be to keep the whole thing cheaper. So that's mm. how we have, we have gone about uh, doing things. Mm. Uh, we might raise one more round of money, uh, before we go to launch finally and go commercial. But yeah, I mean, I think for any deep tech company, fundraisers are always going to be a norm every year. That takes up mm-hmm. a lot of my time as well. I've gotten used to that now. Mm-hmm. But yes, definitely there will be more fundraisers and so on, even as we go commercial.
0: Is it difficult uh, for deep tech startups in India to find money?
1: It was uh, definitely a little challenging when we started. 2016, 2017, uh, there was a. Uh, there was a lot of inertia, right? Because uh, the success stories in India were more on the SaaS space uh, or on the you know consumer software space, hmm. not directly in deep tech hardware, uh, right? And a lot of people here needed like a two or three-step process, first in terms of educating them about the market, then about our sector within the market, and then Agnikul. So that was, you know, taking some time. Hmm. Also, I think... Uh, the big thing that happened is in 2020, with the first wave of COVID, uh, mm. there was this whole Atman Arbar thing uh, mm. that came in, and space thing got a really direct uplift, mm. right? The government opened up uh, the gates for private players to directly approach ISRO for full missions, mm. right? And we actually, I mean, really thankful to ISRO and grateful to ISRO for, you know, allowing us to be the first company in the country to actually sign an agreement with them in the whole in-space program. Hmm. So so I think in that sense things have been really you know uh, 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 you know uh, good going good for us. Uh, so now things have changed. Hmm. Now funding is slightly more easier at least people look at it as a, as a as a viable venture to you know look at right It's not like even going and convincing people there's a business model. Now it is about I think the leveling the playing field has been made a little more level. We are also another deep tech startup as opposed to, oh my God, you're longing, longing, there is no business model here. This is about just like a vision and a dream and all that. People are now willing to look at this as a business. So that since things have actually changed quite a bit.
0: Hmm. Okay. A couple of uh, last questions. Uh, uh, The components uh, and the infrastructure that you need for your business, uh, is there a good enough ecosystem in India for it? Are there critical components that need to be imported?
1: Uh, most of it, actually, almost 99% of it is in India. Again, uh, this is a good thing about doing rocketry from a country that is one of the most accomplished countries in rocketry, right? Right. Across the world, I mean, India's rocket tech is definitely among the world's best and cheapest. Hmm. So a lot of vendors have already been trained and, you know, literally grown by ISRO. ISRO has handheld them to a point where they're able to support most of our needs. Here and there, a couple of sensors and stuff, we might have to go outside. But I don't think in the scheme of things, it's like you're really dependent outside the country. We can actually make a 100% made in India rocket today. Uh, uh, that is done to today and i think that we should Because one of the advantages of doing uh, a startup like this out of india mm. uh, it's not possible in many countries uh, lucky to be doing this from india in that sense
0: mm. okay one last standard question is uh, i mean you i know you you're working towards uh, building your rockets to flight capability and so on but if you just step back and look at your company what are the next big steps at Agnikul?
1: Uh, yeah, so we qualified our engines for, you know, steady state and so on. So the next step is basically testing everything on the ground for full flight duration, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, so far we have proven that everything works. Now you have to prove the, what you call like the full duration test. So those kind of things where you're qualifying it on ground for flight. And then the next big thing is flight itself. Uh, that is where we are like maybe two or three steps away from flight totally.
0: Okay. So that is uh, Srinath Ravichandran, co-founder and CEO of uh, Agnikul Cosmos, uh, building a new generation of uh, rockets uh, for India and taking uh, private spacefaring to the next level in the country. Uh, That's it for this week's uh, edition of Startup Fridays. Uh, Do support us by sharing us, which which really keeps us going. Next week, I'll be back uh, with a VC investor who Uh, took a bet on Agritech in India uh, long before many others did. That should be an interesting conversation.